so when people talk about seeing a ghost, they're really perceiving a ghost in a visual manner. When they hear a ghost, they're perceiving that voice in an auditory manner. So the modality is seeing, hearing, feeling, but it's not actually that sense because the sense is a biological thing. Sensory yes. organs are biological, the perceptions happening inside the brain, consciousness, yes. that kind of thing. Welcome to Mysterious World. This is your host, Stuart Palm. Today we will be chatting with world-recognized paranormal expert and author of such books as Psychic Dreaming, Lloyd Auerbach. Welcome back to Mysterious World. This is Stuart Palm. Uh, I'm going to do things a little bit differently today. Normally, I sit and chat with you for another five minutes or so before I jump into the interview, but why waste any time? So we're going to get right to it. Today, we will be hearing a recording I I took like last June or July uh, while I was in Florida with the uh, Psychic Entertainers Association meeting, meeting of the minds with Lloyd Auerbach. So here, without any further ado, is that interview. consider psychic dreams a dream which are psychic content right so we're psychic experience so out-of-body experiences what people astral travel astral projection is one of the areas where people will have those experiences while they're dreaming right and then probably the bulk of what people report are precognitive dreams dreams of the future mm -hmm. and then there's telepathic dreams where you have a shared experience or shared dream with someone right it's sometimes called mutual dreaming and there are clairvoyant dreams where you wake up in the morning, you find out that while you've had a dream about something that happened in the middle of the night, and it turns out that that happened while you were while you were asleep. The timing on that's a little weird because you could have had the dream an hour before the right. event or an hour after the event, or you also could have been dreaming about the event, and then you turn on the TV, you find out that it happened, and you actually your dream is about watching it on TV. Stuart Palm here again. I'm just going to break in for a second on the interview because uh, as I'm going through this, um, I've been having to adjust the uh, D Hummer and the noise reduction stuff in the software because in the beginning here, I did not realize uh, that the air conditioner was on and was very loud in the motel room we were in. So uh, later on, the recording sound quality gets better. So for those of you who are uh, sensitive to such things, hold on to your hats, folks. It's a great interview and uh, great content, and the sound quality does. Not about the event itself. That makes it precognitive. Right, okay. So it, the timing of those kinds of dreams are tough because you don't wake up right away and look at the clock and see that sort of thing most of the time. Okay, cool. I, I'm looking forward to reading the book. It sounds, yeah. sounds great. I, um, 
my aunt gave me a book on astral projection when I was maybe eight or nine, so mm -hmm. I used to practice that. And I have had some, um, I have had experiences, but I don't know exactly how to characterize those experiences, and I haven't tested them against anything like we're talking about to know and have any evidence that it wasn't me just, well, you know, having yeah. a... You know, technically, you know, technically, what an out-of-body experience is is having an experience where your your perception of perspective or where you are has shifted away from your body. So okay, that's, that's so I'm an always astral projecting. <laughs> right. well, yeah. But that would be mean you'd have to be seeing your body from the outside. You know, probably the most common kind of out-of-body okay. experience is people actually feel like they're out of the body and they look around, look down, and they see their own body. Right. And usually that experience is described as though they have an umbilical cord that tethers them to the body. Well, that's in all the astral literature, uh, but the literature on astral projection right. says that, but all the surveys that people have done in my field say that only 5% have that cord. Okay. It's the silver cord. We think it's the, for, for people who have that silver cord, we think it has to do with a psychological safety net. Right. I do not have the silver cord in my experiences. Yeah, most people don't. And then there's a very small percentage that have a golden cord. Cool. I'm sure Trump would have a golden cord. Trump would definitely have a golden cord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your your work is in cyclical research. What what is your what is your title of that, or what is how does that work? Uh, well, I you know I just call myself a parapsychologist. That's kind of the working title. But I I'm mainly an educator these days. Uh, my research is more on it's not concerted research, but it's really on out of, uh, out of the laboratory work. Right. So I do look at people's spontaneous experiences outside the laboratory. I do still do occasionally investigations of apparitions and hauntings and poltergeists. So I'm a field investigator in that sense, or a field researcher. But I mainly see myself as an educator, because I teach so many classes and try to get more people into the field. And are you educating them on the process of doing research or on your findings? Both, uh, because part of the process of doing research, the methodologies, you want to talk about what the actual findings of the methodologies are. And it's, um, it's since I work with people quite often who want to either do an investigation or want to understand their own experiences, talking about the findings is really important because that's what you apply to the actual field investigations. That's what you apply to people's experiences. Right. So, and and then the, talking about the the process of research, it's covering the research methodology, what makes a good one, and it's also um, what makes a good investigation. I, we had to teach an entire course on field investigation, which covers not only conceptually what we study and what we think they are, but also how you do an investigation properly, both right. scientifically and to help people, which are not always the same thing. Right. Um, Why. How did you get into that? How, what was your... Well, getting into psychical research parapsychology comes as uh, an interest of myself as a kid. Mm -hmm. From TV shows, uh, comic books, and really TV and comics. I had TV, TV in my room when I was what two. What TV show are you thinking of? All right. So the one that really sent me to the library to read books was Dark Shadows. Nice. Right. Although Star Trek talked about ESP quite a bit, NPK. Uh, earlier, though, as a, a little kid, I, I, mean, I was probably three or four years old, and I was watching The Twilight Zone and a show called One Step Beyond, which dramatized real psychic experiences. And there was a show called Topper, okay. which was on in the 50s, and then they re were rerunning it in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, actually ran it for a while, about a guy named Cosmo Topper who moved into a house that belonged to this 
um, rich couple who died in an avalanche in Switzerland and their ghost came back to haunt the house and he could see them. And it was just kind of a sitcom kind of thing. That sounds great. Um, it was, it's a great show. There are a few episodes out there on uh, YouTube. There's the movie that was based on the book had Cary Grant in it. It's called Topper. That's in the public domain. Anybody can find that almost nice. anywhere. I will look that up. And the book, uh, Thorne Smith's book, it's, it's a very funny book. It, the thing about the show that was great. And, and I, I was never afraid of ghosts, probably because of Topper. And we had the ghost of Mrs. Muir in the 60s also. I don't know that one. That's another famous sitcom about a sea captain's ghost in a family situation. <laughs> there have been a lot of ghostly sitcoms. It's a good topic. It's yeah. a really good topic. And it's actually closer to reality than any of the horror films that are out there. It's much, much closer. Although the ghost and topper drank a lot. That's not normal. <laughs> so when you say reality, this is reality based on evidence that you've seen. Or experienced or Re- read or- Re- reality as based on what people have reported the actual experiences as people have had right have you personally had a ghost experience yes um, not a visual one okay. I, i've had a number of experiences with where uh other people were seeing the ghosts and things were moving physically uh-huh. and i was uh, when it's physical movement everybody sees it which is kind of cool um there's a long-term case that i've had called the moss beach distillery it's a restaurant Mm-hmm. outside of San Francisco. And the very first time I was there, which was for Japanese TV, was there with the medium. Um, she started talking, having a communication with the, talking to the ghost. And we asked her to ask the ghost to do things. And we had a door opening on its own five times on camera, which was kind of cool. That's cool. Um, checked to make sure that nobody was screwing with it. Uh, it just was, had somebody on the other side of the door to make sure. It was very, very cool. But how I was, how I approach these cases is, okay, if there's a ghost here, this is a person. Mm-hmm. So we want to be friendly. We want to be nice. Sure. And that was back in 92. And since that time, I've, I've done, I don't know, a couple hundred investigation, short pieces there, interviewing witnesses, going with different psychics, having those communications. So at that place, uh, back in 99, we actually were doing a two-night investigation. We had had a press conference earlier that day to talk about some other stuff that was going on. Um, I had three psychics there who were in a different part of the restaurant about two o'clock in the morning. I was checking to see if there was any unusual magnetic activity because there's sometimes geomagnetic activity and other magnetic activity. And what I picked up was the ice machine. <laughs> so um, I'm behind have magnetic activity. Yeah. 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 And when it turns on, when it cycles. Um, so when I was behind the bar, I actually felt like somebody was walking through me mm-hmm. back and forth and it continued. I started timing it. I started timing it. And after about two and a half minutes of the three psychics, uh, Annette Martin, Pam Heath and Stosh Murray came around the corner from uh, another dining room and they stopped and looked at me and burst out laughing. And Annette says, she's walking through you, isn't she? That's fantastic. And then, and the two of them, the other three, all three of them look at each other and I feel that energy moving away from me. And Stosh says, I think we scared her off. But the good thing was I separated the three of them. They described the same, the clothing, Sorry, that's right. Just making sure it's still recording. It is still recording. Yeah, good. So I described the cl- uh, they described the, individually described the same clothing, yeah, the same jewelry, and I had a picture. I didn't see her, but I had a picture in my mind's eye, like in my head, a visualization, right, of this young woman with her hair up, with certain jewelry and a certain because the Japanese medium years before had told the ghost that she could change her clothes. She'd been known as the blue lady before that. We probably could have called her the ghost in the little black dress after that. 
when she got fashion advice. So she's wearing, and she wasn't even wearing that, um, but it was the same that matched my head and it all matched. That's great. And then on top of it all, um, oh, since that time, I've been there and I kind of can sense her when she's around when, before other people even say they see her. And I was doing a, uh, a thing with another psychic a few years later and we were downstairs recording like we are now. Um, my interview with the psychic, what she experienced, this is during the day, places uh, during the week, places relatively empty. You could hear the sound of the ocean. It's right on the ocean. And all of a sudden I hear a female voice about a foot from my left ear saying, hi, Lloyd. And That's great. she, she looked up and she said, she said something to you, didn't she? And I said, yeah. And she didn't hear it. She just heard that there was a voice, nothing on the recorder. Right. At all. So, um, when you saw her mm -hmm. in my head, you saw her in your head. Yeah. I was very clear. Psychics visually seeing her in the room or are they right. seeing her in, her in their heads. So it, it's sort of both. Yeah. Cause actually when we're seeing everything we're it's seeing in our head. head. Yeah, sure. You know, perception is yeah. interpreting information from That's our eyes. You make it. Yeah. So I kind of liken it to a green screen situation where the re where reality is the green screen. Sure. And the person who's in that picture, the ghost, gets added to that. Right. And it's so when people talk about seeing a ghost, they're really perceiving a ghost in a visual manner. When they hear a ghost, they're perceiving that voice in an auditory manner. So the modality is seeing, hearing, feeling, but it's not actually that sense because the sense is a biological thing. Sensory yes. organs are biological. The perceptions happening inside the brain, consciousness, yes. that kind of thing. I have personally had experiences with uh, family members who've crossed over while in a wake sleep state, like a half awake state. Do the, you yeah. characterize that? Because I communicated with them and everything. Mm -hmm. And when I when I came out of it. I mean, I knew it was up to me to make the distinction of whether this was a dream that happened in my head or something where I actually uh, communicated with a spirit. And I believe the latter. Mm -hmm. I know that's my belief. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to prove or disprove or make anything out of it other than that's what I believe. How do you characterize that, that experience uh, in terms of psychic dreaming? Is that a, is that a case of psychic no, dreaming or is that well, different? It, it's in the hypnagogic state. And the hypnagogic state right. is often a state that people have out-of-body experiences also. Sure. So it's not a, it, it can carry over imagery from the dream state, but there are so many cases on record or reports on record of, of information that people have been able to, to provide that is verifiable that they could not possibly have known, right. including these kinds of cases, like situations like you talked about, that it's some form of ESP. You know, one of the things that uh, is, it's a misconception. It, it's really, and the ghost hunter groups, you know, the, the community has, has really has this misconception thanks to the TV shows is that you don't have to know anything about ESP to either do spirit communication or know anything about that or to do EVP or to do any of these. It's actually not true. Every meeting we ever talk to will say, I'm not hearing the ghost with my ears, right? It's my psychic sense of hearing. It's in my head, you know, it's perception. Sure. I am telepathic. The mediums say, I am telepathically having communication. The only reason a medium even has to say anything out loud is for the audience. Right. It's yeah. not necessary. And, and so the experience that you had where the ghost whispered in your ear or spoke in your ear, that was in your head. It wasn't right. 
Did, did you perceive it in your head or did you perceive it as though it, someone was talking next as to you? As if someone was talking next to me. That's cool. Yeah. You know, we, we have over the last five years looked more and more at some, a phenomenon called synesthesia, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. And in some respects, psychic perception is a form of synesthesia. Okay. Because it's this information that gets translated into a visual signal. So it's a kind of, since you can have an auditory signal, it becomes visual and synesthesia. It's the same kind of idea. Sure. And what's also interesting is that two, re- a couple of researchers uh, have been looking at synesthesia as a connection to psychic ability. And it's starting to look like people who have a degree of synesthesia, and it's about 4% of the population have, any, have a varying degree of this, tend to be more psychic. I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. Uh, I love this idea of... Um searching out and and connecting with ghosts and finding the people that are most medium uh, able and um, what are the signifiers that allow people to be able to communicate with the other side. So if um, if you have this ability, if you are a synesthetic, uh, you, you see uh, smells or you, you hear colors or you have some degree of that uh, time synesthesia any of those sorts of things uh, respond with your psychic experiences or uh, what degree of that kind of thing you have uh, on mysteriousworldpodcast.com uh, also you can uh, jump in uh, if you have had an experience of seeing a ghost, uh, I want to know your stories about seeing ghosts. Uh, interesting story about uh, earlier today. Uh, my son went to a library. He's three years old, and he came back and he had a book of Thomas the Tank, Thomas the Tank Engine. <clears throat> and in this story, uh, Thomas sees a ghost, and uh, he was talking to his friend about how it's a scary book. Um, because there's ghosts. And I asked him, uh, do you, do you know what a ghost is? Have you seen a ghost? And he said, yes. I said, where did you see a ghost? And he said, um, on the way to Paul Paul's house. And that's the, the word for his grandmother. And I said, on the way to Paul Paul's house, where was it? And he said, it was behind mommy. So, uh, uh, that's always a creepy moment. I asked him, what did it look like? He said it was green. So, um, not sure what that means but uh if you have a story about ghosts or whatever your personal story is and that please comment or send me a message you can contact me uh stuart at com or mysteriousworldpodcast.com there's also a contact link there uh enjoy the rest of the interview thanks again for listening interesting um would you say that it's common for people with synesthesia to not realize that they have synesthesia yeah 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 i think it is unless you have real have really have synesthesia you know the kind of synesthesia where you're seeing you hear music and all of a sudden things start floating around in the air right at that point but yeah it's very common and and there there are now online tests people can take with that indicate the levels there are yeah where would you go for that uh i have to find out what would you search just synesthesia synesthesia, yeah synesthesia testing cool um, I got off on talking about your book, but you have other yeah. books as well if you want to talk about them. But I assume yeah. you can get your book on Amazon. Is there other places? Yeah, the, um, for Psychic Dreaming, it should be available through any of the online booksellers. It's published by Llewellyn Worldwide. Okay. So that should be available just about anywhere. Uh, it's also available as an ebook. Nice. 
And the same with the book that's coming out in July, which is Mind Over Matter. So that book is also oh, also fantastic. from So that should be available everywhere as well. So that'll have telekinesis and it's all... it's about you know I took a slightly different tact. I didn't write just about telekinesis or just about psychic healing. I actually because my dad was a sports producer. Okay. Uh, I grew up in I kind of grew up at NBC at Thirty Rock. Wow. And it it was a kind of a, it was a great experience as a kid. So, uh, you know, my parents never restricted TV for us in terms of what we could watch because I knew how it was made. Hence, you were watching Twilight Zone when you were four. Hence, I was watching Twilight Zone. (laughs) Although my brothers never, you know, forget about them. Even through their teenage years, they're they're totally freaked out by by weird things. What would you say as, I mean, you're probably the most experienced with ghosts of anyone I've met in terms of studying them and knowing about them. What would you say to people who are afraid of ghosts? First of all, living people have more power than ghosts do. Sure. Ghosts do not carry guns and knives. Right. And the, the reality is that all the information we have shows that people do not be, change their personality when they die. Mm-hmm. So most people are nice or apathetic. They're nice or they don't care. That's right. the majority of people. So either way, you're okay. Right. There's a few that were, may have been bullies in life. They're bullies in death. Right. Not everybody. It's pretty clear that most people do not stick around. At wherever, whatever happens. In fact, 90, I think it's between 95 and 97% of our cases of the reports, I should say, are one-time sightings of people who have just died. And that's it. They go away. They never stick around. Right. So for the ones who stick around, we have the nice people. We have the apathetic people. We have occasional bullies. We have a lot of ass, you know. Yeah. There are people just were asses when they were alive. That's, that's it. And, there's, and they there's, are still. They still are when they're dead. And so there's no reason to be afraid of a ghost. And every reason to yell back at them if they start yelling at you, because sure. a lot of times they, they don't. That's what a bully doesn't expect. Well, I, I just most people who are afraid of ghosts are afraid of ghosts based on some movie that scared right. them as a child or something. And usually that that has a story arc of uh, something like a Ouija board or a psychical experience of experimentation as childhood unlocks something in the ghost right. world or the other side or whatever gets starts haunting them and, and then horrible things happen. Um, so it becomes uh, a touchy topic for some people who don't even want to bring it up. Um, I love what the scientific world calls the idiomotive response. Oh, yeah. Uh, that I believe is more going on there than... For Ouija that. boards, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how, what do you feel is going on with a Ouija board? Idiomotor response. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, um, Ouija board's got a bad rap. Uh, and it started, it seemed, really started in the West with the movie The Exorcist. Yeah, of course, yes. Yeah, I had a, uh, there's a guy named Constantinos who's a, who writes on on witchcraft and life after death and things like sure. that. And he said he was in Catholic school during the period when The Exorcist came out. And they played with Ouija boards, like with the priests yeah. and the nuns. Day after the movie came out. The Vatican, apparently, or someone, the bishop had sent out a note to all the schools, put them away. <sighs> no more. We can't play with these anymore. We can't have them out. People are freaked out. Right. So it, it, it's a it's kind of a modern folklore myth about the Ouija board. Sure. Um, it's idiomotor response. That's what it's always been. Yep. And the problem with Ouija boards is, well, there's two problems. One is teenagers, just in general, mm-hmm. who play with Ouija boards. And one person is going to be screwing with everybody else. That's almost guaranteed. Right. The other is that the idiomotor response does happen to our unconscious. And our sure. unconscious has got a lot of crap in it. Exactly. 
Uh, and that is where I feel there's more going on with the idiomotor response because yeah. um, the question becomes, what is our unconscious? That's a big question. And, uh, you know, it's when you talk, take a look at psychology as a science, it's studying behavior mm-hmm. and makes assumptions. So many of those assumptions are still based on 19th century ideas. Right. They play out practically. Okay. To a point. Mm-hmm. And pretty clearly when we're sleeping, we call that, you know, you're, it's your unconscious that's doing that. So it depends on how you define the conscious and unconscious mind. Exactly. What's in our, if you think about dream states, a lot of what people dream about ends up being symbolic, metaphorical. Mm-hmm. It comes through. Sometimes it's very literal. It can mm-hmm. be either way. So when you're doing something like with a Ouija board, it can tap into something metaphorical or something literal, something you actually know that you didn't know you knew. Right. Uh, it could tap into whatever your intention is or, or what you're saying. So you're playing a Ouija board to, we're going to talk to some angels right now. And you're unconscious. Uh, the unconscious of somebody at the, in the room is going to go, oh, this could be fun. Right. And it's not a conscious thing. It just happens that way. Mm-hmm. If you've got a bunch of people sitting around saying, let's see if we can contact the devil. Well, somebody's side's going to come out in that way too. Right. If you're playing Bloody Mary or whatever, right. games, yeah. you may have a more negative experience That's based right. on your intention. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. It's really rare that the, you know, people tell me stories about how it comes up with this, you know, this communication and the story. It's like, so what? Yeah. Was there any information that was given to you that then you looked up and you didn't know that person, you know, that that person lived, that all this, that's not what happens with Ouija boards. I, um, years ago, I did a Halloween seance in Hong Kong for entertainment and fun, but I, yeah. I decided to not make it a spook show or anything fake. I was seriously conducting and leading a seance. And one of the things that we did, I just did, we did different things. Mm-hmm. We, um, I taught them to use pendulums and we did a Ouija board. Uh, but I didn't have any Ouija boards because you cannot find a Ouija board in Hong Kong. They do not sell them at Toys R Us. It's not a thing. Mm-hmm. Chinese do not go for ghost stuff, generally speaking. Right. It's um, taboo. Except for movies. They got it in movies a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they do have ghost hunters and stuff all over China. And that, that's a thing. But culturally, it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had a good mixed crowd, actually. People <clears> from all over the world uh, around a large table. And I broke them into two groups based on... Um, ESP card test actually uh, whoever was the most um, accurate led the uh, Ouija board session so I was out of it I didn't want to be involved I didn't want people to think I was doing anything sure. I didn't touch the cup or anything and we did the return glass with uh, cards that had letters on them around the table and I was just sort of a guide and then I told them uh, to begin uh, well, well they, after they got a yes as to there was some sort of spiritual connection in the room, they both at separate tables on different sides of the room asked uh, if the ghost could give or the spirit could give a name. And the first letter at the same time was a letter D on both sets, which was a fantastic experience. We didn't get right, a whole name, right, but we right. got a D and right. we went on from there and it was a great fun time. And I, I was really... Uh, impressed by the experiences that everyone had. Uh, however, I did not have a personal experience of any sort, but the, the stories that came out of mm-hmm. everybody else was amazing. Um, and 
so I can't, I, 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 you know, that was great. I, but I don't know how to characterize where that came from and what it is. And, it, you know, it's the, the D. But or? the mystery is wonderful yeah. about it. The D. Yeah. Why would, why would both to go for D? Well, it's, it could have been a coincidence. Sure. Could also have been one of the people at one table was actually picking up on that. Right. Well, exactly. And, yeah. and but here's the, here's the situation in which some kind of evidence happened for right. everyone in that room. Um, but you cannot, I mean, this could be so many things that you can only rely on it as a story of a great experience. Right. An experience of mystery that we don't know what's happening. But your world is trying to make it more tangible and, 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 and define that experience. And that just setting parameters boggles my mind. As to how much, well, we you know we can't always be we certainly can't be sure about yeah, things. Can't be sure. And even when I do investigations, you know, we have apparitions, which are the ghosts. Mm-hmm. We have hauntings, which are residual or impressions that are left behind. Sure. That's the end. And that's actually where people run into the negative stuff. That if you move into a house. You know, this should be something very simple. You know, Asian culture knows all about this. You move into a house where someone, you, someone died, and actually not even someone died. People had knocked down, drag out fights. Right. That house has really bad energy in it. Right. It's just the emotional energy is left behind. And it's, and almost anybody can pick it up. Realtors will tell you that you can feel, tangibly feel the vibe. Sure. Bad vibe. Yeah. Bad juju. So that's there. And that bad, may be purely. Bad chi. Bad chi. Um, feng shui does work. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, we bring in magnets that works too for this. So that actually may be a purely biological thing, not even considered psychic. I and mean, we still consider it psychic because we don't know exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but we, there are some ideas if we have to actually test if we could get a small grant to do that. And then you have the poltergeist effects, which are really, they're rare. They're actually pretty rare. And these are purely physical things. No indication of a ghost. Nobody's having communication. Nobody's seeing an apparition. You don't get the other stuff going on. It's just physical stuff, either moving around or a hell of a lot of weird electronic effects that are happening these days. Sure. And that ties to a living person. That's the mind over matter thing right. of the unconscious. So when we're doing these investigations, we can kind of figure the buckets. We have to go through the individual experiences people have and determine if the five experiences you had in your haunted house which one of them, if any of them, actually relate to any one of those three things. Right. Because they could all be explainable. But the other people living in your house could have had a real experience. Mm-hmm. Usually we find that a percentage is explainable of almost if you have more than one single experience, which we if it's only one thing, if it's not going on right now. We don't even investigate this. It's just we take the story. But the idea is that when people get freaked out or upset by one experience, they'll start misperceiving, misconstruing, misnaming things. Right. So we have to go into all that. But then when it comes to the ghost thing, you know, so let's say five people see the ghost. We, I, let me give you an example. The USS Hornet aircraft carrier museum. This was the lead ship in the world in World War II in the Pacific fleet from 1943 to the end of the war. Okay. Okay. Ship was in, uh, it was the ship that picked up Apollo 11 and 12. Okay. And then it was mothballed, it was decommissioned. Uh, in 95, it was brought back down to the Bay Area because that's where it was stationed for some ceremonies, closing the air ba- the naval air base. Mm-hmm. And a foundation decided to save it from being scrapped because it was about to be scrapped. So they start cleaning up the, the ship uh, to open as a museum a couple of years later. And almost immediately, the guys working on the ship 
scraping paint, cleaning up, start seeing sailors and officers. Right. And these are guys who had never had a ghost experience before in their lives. Mm -hmm. And they're sometimes happening in multiples, like two or three people at the same time are having the same experience. That's fascinating. Yeah. So I got involved in late 98, early 99, a psychic, uh, just after they had opened, a psychic had been asked by uh, one of the foundation people uh, to come and see what was going on with the ghost. And then she brought me in and my folks in and we did a serious series of interviews and talked, walked through the ship and, and the whole thing. In those circumstances, they still have, even to this day, there are docents who have had experiences and believe it and docents who think it's a load of crap. Mm-hmm. And the ones who think it's a load of crap know that there are sometimes and have been groups of five people who have seen the same one. They just think that those five people are making fun of the, of the guy who think it's a load of crap. Wow. Okay. They, yeah. That's, so that's going to happen. Sure. Yeah. That's as far as it goes. In the meantime, there is no other explanation for these, for what's through the interactions and the, and the consistency of what we're seeing here. I mean, it's very consistent. Uh, there's so much that, that comes through. There's very little physical. So it's all subjective experience, right? It's subjective experience from some very good witnesses. Although sometimes they have been drunk. And, uh, yeah. Right. It's always interesting to get, you know, five drunk people and three sober people and they're all saying the same thing. Yeah. So it, it's, we can't do anything more than define what we think it is. And what we think it is, is the consciousness of people who have come back. Cause everybody says the one, the, the psychics who've talked to these guys, the feeling, the general feeling of the original witnesses is um, that the ship wasn't haunted. That when the, sh- the ship was in serious trouble as a foundation, even getting started in a museum, now it's doing really well. But <clears throat> these guys who served aboard the ship during world war two, who did not die aboard the ship, the ship actually had very few deaths. Mm-hmm. in service, like 323 or 349, which is really low considering it was in, in three wars. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's since 1943 to 1970. That's crazy when yeah. you think about it. And a couple of the ghosts have been identified because they were well-known officers. They died in civilian wow. life well after the ship was decommissioned. So you've got all this stuff going on. They're, they're, they're fa- saying who these folks are. We define it as consciousness after death and that these guys have come back to watch over the ship. Sure. That that's what it's there for. Can I prove that? No. Right. But we can't prove we're conscious anyway. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's it's also everything subjective. For, For you personally, you have a goal that you want to achieve with your work? My goal has always been to normalize these experiences. Nice. And I've had a couple of, um, there was a, there was a game show that was in production. Well, pre-production back was it 2004, 2002, 2004, uh, production company contacted me. They had done a good game. They were doing a game show called telepathy, trying to sell to the game show network, Mm -hmm. which is now GSN. And what they told me was that the feedback they got was that it wasn't psychic enough. (laughs) <laughs> it was kind of a match game kind of thing. Sure. So I came up with a couple of things to, to do that. And then we did uh, a couple of weeks worth of, of run throughs down in LA. We've got some people to, you know, contestants to play who people who knew each other really well, who claimed they had telepathy between each other. Right. And then we did it in front of the game show network execs and it was purchased. It was bought. Part of my goal for doing that, that whole project originally um, was that there is nothing more normal than a game show. 
And that because of the quiz show stuff in the 1950s, the monitoring of information for winning prizes, Mm -hmm. the monitoring of the process has to be better than what scientists can do. Right. Above reproach. They were going to automate everything. I mean, it was going to be incredibly, and the money would have been there to do it. Researchers would never be able to do it. And my feeling was that if the show had gotten on the air, and it didn't get on the air, actually, this is a side, it didn't get on the air because the executives who bought it um, a couple of months later, it was going into pre-production. It was purchased. Arthur, uh, Arthur Smith Productions was going to do it. And my involvement was going to be as a consultant. I'm not quite sure if I was going to be on the show or not. I'm probably not. But um, even if I wasn't involved, I didn't care because uh, of what it was going to do. But they left. Uh, let's say the president got fired for the, the parent company. Mm-hmm. He left. The His people left. The guys coming in. Anything that wasn't already in production from the past regime. Got swiped. Got swiped. Yeah. Right. So my hope for that show was basically a five day a week show where people could win money at doing psychic things. That's awesome. There's nothing more normal. It would have been the normal, the normalizing force. Sure. For that. So I've always been trying to like your question about why people shouldn't be afraid of ghosts. You know, I've always tried to bring this back to these are really interesting, curious experiences. Do you um, I feel like. People are uncomfortable with it, so they they um, they don't give power to their experiences, and so they kind of cut off their ability to have these experiences by yeah. by pushing it away from themselves. Whereas if they start looking into it and opening up to it uh, and having an open mind to it, they'll experience more of these things. Um, does that make sense to me? To you? Yeah, it makes absolute sense. In fact. Uh one of the folks I worked with at the American Society for Psychical Research many years ago, my first job in parapsychology, when I it was a, a, an incredible psychic who we worked with, um, I said, well, what's the first, how do I become psychic? So, well, the first step is notice that you already are. Nice. That was going to be my next question is, yeah. do you feel that you are psychic? A little bit. Yeah. Everybody's got some degree of psychic ability. I think I am. Um, I've learned to pay attention to what I'm doing when I'm doing the investigations. Mm-hmm. And occasionally have experiences that I'm just kind of waiting and seeing what actually comes from them. Yeah. Um, and I teach psychic development. That's one of the things I've, I've put together for the church of Jediism. <laughs> right. Church of Jediism. What a, uh, um, I know you need to be somewhere. Some well, I'm point. just thinking I've got to one thirty, but I wanted to go down. I think we should go down. You, you yeah. Probably... I think, I think we should, we should wrap up in a minute, but yeah. what I would like to do, cause my, um, I'll have to stop soon too. What I would like to do is have a follow-up episode we do over Skype or something oh, sure. like that. Yeah, so we can, can do that. Because yeah. there's so much yeah. that we can talk about. And I feel right. like we just talked a little bit about one book and, you know, yeah. the surface of yeah. the topic. And you know so much about this stuff, so it's great. Um, so, Jediism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell me what that is. All right. So, uh, I got hooked up last year uh, through a writer who had done an interview for me with me for her very popular Facebook page um, to this thing called The Church of Jediism, which is a website. It's, okay. it's not not a church. It's a website. Right. And on the website is a, a kind of a spiritual is path. It w, what is the URL? It is um, thechurchofjediism.org, or the easiest one is becometheforce.com. Becometheforce.com. Because that's the name of the book also coming out uh, <clears throat> that Daniel Jones wrote, which will be out in November. I love that. And uh, it's a spiritual path. In fact, I think folks, especially in Asia, are going to find some very common, some very... Sure. You know, familiar things in this. It, it takes off from the, the things that are in the movies and the books. 
the Jedi path. Right, right, right. But it, it, he's explored uh, Taoism and Buddhism and all sorts of other philosophies. Mm-hmm. And now he wants, what, what he's doing with the site, which relaunched on May the 4th, is bringing in people, yeah, of course, it's Star Wars Day, uh, to, like myself, to, to have courses to kind of bring up what the Jedi should be. So the idea is that I'm doing psychic development. Someone else is doing mindfulness and meditation. We have someone talking about martial arts and, and you know, exercise and nutrition. There'll be some stuff on Qigong. There'll be um, some work on creativity, on right. math and science. I mean, right. it's really kind of the idea to make you a more well-rounded person, which is what a jet, uh, the jettist should be. And I'm, it's kind of a really cool thing. Um, it's... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. I've got a read an advanced copy of the book and it's really interesting. It's this guy's story. And it was a young guy who was pretty much saved as he put it by star Wars, because uh, he, he didn't know he had autism, not autism, but Asperger's, which is a form of autism. And he didn't quite understand himself and he didn't quite understand what was going on with him. And he was all over the map and star Wars gave him a path. It totally gave him a path. That's great. So, uh, what it was, we are the force. You are the force. Become the force. Become the force. Become the force dot oh, dot com. Become dot the com. force dot com. Or my site is mindreader.com. That's what we're gonna do next. Yeah. To know more about Lloyd Auerbach, mindreader.com is your your that's a great one to have. Yeah. You must have been right very early into that. Uh, yeah, my buddy Larry, who who actually he and I uh, he owned an ISP back in the early late eighties, early nineties, and we were doing seances together. We did a show called Seance Fiction Theater. Cool. Um, and you, your, how many books do you have? So I have 10 books, 10 books. Well, yeah. I'm going to list them all. Most now, recent are most recent psychic dreaming, psychic dreaming, mind over matter and ESP wars, ESP wars, which is about, I co-wrote with Ed May, the former director of the Stargate program. So it's all about the U S psychic spying program and the Russian psychic spying program. This is the first and only book where the Russians provide firsthand information about what they were doing during that time. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to go read some of your books and then we'll have you on again. And uh, thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. My thanks to Lloyd Auerbach for uh, doing that interview with me. That was a great time. And it was really nice to listen to it again uh, right now as I was uh, editing and uh, putting it into the format so we can shoot it out to the world. Uh, Again, check out becometheforce.com for the... uh, the uh, Jediism content. That's really fun stuff. Uh, I do recommend checking out Psychic Dreaming, Lloyd Auerbach's uh, book. I, I've read that one fully. Uh, it's a great book full of all kinds of information that we'll talk about the next time I have him on. Uh, he's also written books titled uh, Hauntings and Poltergeists, uh, Reincarnation, Channeling, and Possession. And another book titled Mind Over Matter, as well as six, I think, or seven other books, nine in total, that he has authored or co-authored over the years. Uh, Lloyd is also a paranormal investigator and president of something called the Forever Family Foundation. Uh, He was at one point director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations. I don't know if he is that any longer. Um... But he's a member of the uh, Rhine Education Center, and the Rhine Center is uh, the people who invented the ESP cards and the study ESP. Uh, He also did a book called ESP Wars, uh, Ghost Hunting, a whole bunch of stuff, Paranormal Casebook. Uh, 
you can check out www.speakasyourself.com or www.mindreader.com, although I did just check that one out and it shot me directly to uh, become the force. So I'm not sure if he's uh, changed that or was in the process of doing that. But nonetheless, uh, check all that out. You can comment at mysteriousworldpodcast.com. We look forward to uh, hearing from you all and your psychic experiences. Thank you again for listening. I'm glad we got this in uh, at around 45 minutes. Normally we go over an hour. Uh, so I'm going to try to shorten these things up. And uh, as always, may the force be with you. <laughs>